Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. My guest today is Sanford Rubenstein, a prominent New York City attorney who's uh, very well known for making money settlements for people who've been victimized in the city and in the the state of New York and elsewhere. I wanted to uh, begin by talking with you about uh, I've, I have found by looking through your bio, four different situations, which I think have resulted in change as a result of what you've done. Uh, one of them has to do with um, a young girl named Vasilan Allen, who was uh, killed by a, a DWI driver. And uh, I believe the results were that there were changes made in the law as a result of that that occurrence that you might have been part of. Uh, the, the other three are the changes in Rikers Island, which for the fact that it may soon close is largely a result of one of the accounts that you've been involved with. Another case where a police officer shot a man and killed him at a party. And now there's laws on the books saying that um, there were breathalyzer tests that are now required for police officers after a shooting. These are remarkable achievements of, in the long career that you've had defending people who are not able to raise money to defend themselves. And I wanted to ask you to speak to any one of them, perhaps you start with Rikers Island. Before I do that, I want to tell you, I'm an admirer of yours. And I have been reading stories that you've written, dance papers, as a matter of fact, in 1999, it was a profile of me done in dance papers, but I've been re- watching your work and I'm just an admirer of yours. And now let me get to the topic. The topic is very simple. What we do as lawyers, yes, we get maximum awards for victims that they're entitled to. What we also do is fight for change so that what happens to one victim doesn't happen to another. And that's a theme that most victims and victims' families who've lost loved ones feel very important about. They don't want what happened to their loved ones to happen to anyone else. So we fight for change. And yes, we've had laws changed in New York State. We've had laws changed in New York City so that people don't get victimized in the way that my clients were. And right now, as a matter of fact, we're fighting for even more significant change. I recently had the honor of testifying before the International Commission on Systematic Racist Police Violence Against People of Color in the United States. And right now, here in the United States, we're trying to get change. We're trying to get the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed in Washington. It already passed the House of Representatives. We're trying to get it passed the Senate. If anyone's listening, write Schumer, tell him you're the majority leader. Get those votes you need from the Democrats to pass this act. We're confident Biden will sign it. Because what it will do, it will illegal all over, make illegal all over the country chokeholds. It will end uh, immunity for police officers and a number of other things that are very important so we don't see the kind of tragedy 
like the tragedy we saw that occurred in the killing of George Floyd. Well, uh, speak about uh, the changes that occurred as a result of what you're, what you you become a very public figure in the well, uh, Rikers Island case. Certainly, that's the Browdy case. That was a case where a young man charged with a very minor crime, spent years in jail, ended up committing suicide as a result of being in solitary confinement for so long, and it demonstrated the the effect of of rooting a young man's life to the extent that he committed suicide as a result of the policies and practice that occurred at, at Rikers Island. I visited Rikers Island on a number of times. This, this facility needs to be closed. It demonstrates what's wrong in our penal system. And certainly, we can certainly humanely deal with those who have to be incarcerated, but we don't need to incarcerate people for minor incidents in this case, for years. So we're looking forward to the closing of Rikers. The politicians have committed to it. Let's see if it really happens. I understand also you were involved with uh, closing the, the Vieques Island base in Puerto Rico, which I visited that when it was a Navy base. That's correct. I represented Reverend Al Sharpton at the time, and he had uh, been arrested for trespass at uh, Vieques as a manner in which he was shining a light on what was going on there. What was happening there was the Navy was using Vieques Island, an island north of Puerto Rico, part of Puerto Rico, as a bombing base to teach pilots how to bomb. The result was young children were getting cancer. It, it, it was a, a terrible situation. And for many years, there was an attempt by activists to stop the bombing in Vieques. Well, after uh, Reverend Al Sharpton shone a light on what was happening. He got 90 days in jail, spent it in the uh, federal facility, most of it in Brooklyn. There was change and ultimately the uh, commitment was made by the government and we were there for the celebration of the closing of the base in Vieques. And that, that was a very important uh, step to demonstrate that shining a light on wrongdoing really can get change. Did, uh, did you uh, also spend time in jail as a result of Vieques? Lawyers generally don't go to jail. And I recently participated in a demonstration in which uh, a number of people went to jail. But I'd rather represent people in court than be in jail. I can be more effective. <laughs> but in future, there may be a cause that I believe it might be necessary for me to go to jail. And I'm ready, willing, and able to do that. But I haven't yet. How, how did you decide uh, when you were in, in college that you wanted to be a lawyer and take up this kind of law practice? Well, it, it was very interesting. I grew up initially until age 14 in the Ravenswood Housing Projects in Long Island City, Queens. And when my parents decided that they wanted to move out of the projects, get a better life, they bought a small house in Rockland County, a little five-room house with a carport. And the lawyer who represented me, my family rather, was a lawyer named Arnold Becker. And I was so impressed with the way my father and mother respected this man, listened to his advice, that it opened me up to the idea of becoming a lawyer. And I ended up going to law school at night at Brooklyn Law School and was a school teacher in Harlem during the day. I call that my Board of Education scholarship to law school. <laughs> and, um... And you've been practicing for all these years. How did you come about uh, coming out to the Hamptons? What was what got that involved? How did you get into I, that? I had decided that I wanted to have a place that I could retreat to, so to speak. And there were a number of places that I was looking at. 
One was the Hamptons, one was Fire Island, uh, one was upstate, way upstate New York in the uh, Catskills. And I decided that the Hamptons were so beautiful. The farms, the cows, the horses, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the vegetables that were being grown, and the sea, the ocean, and, and the beach. It, it was just so amazing that I picked the Hamptons. And I asked a friend of mine who had a home in the Hamptons where he thought I should try to buy a house. He said between Watermill and Bridgehampton, south of the highway. So I was fortunate enough at that time to buy a modern style house south of the highway. Uh, <laughs> we call it Bridgehampton, but the mailing address is Watermill. And I've lived there now for 33 years and there's a beautiful horse farm behind me. It's just an amazing retreat, so to speak, to decompress from the work that, that I do, which is very stressful, uh, but also at the same time, very important to me and very significant, I hope. So yeah, and I love it out there. I, I, you know, one of the things I also love are the farms, whether it's Babinski's or Fairview Farms. I, I love going, talking to the farmers, buying the fresh produce and, and enjoying the, the life of the Hamptons. And many say that it's changed a lot over the last 30 years. I don't think so. Yes, there may be more homes, but the truth of the matter is, one of the things our, our city fathers did, which was very smart, was creating reserves. So you have the farmland preserved, you have the horse farms preserved. So it isn't just a bunch of cookie cutter houses or today <laughs> mansions uh, all over the place. You have the reserves for agriculture, you have the horse farms, you have, I mean, it's amazing. I, I go and I say hello to the cows. Hope your, your listeners don't think I'm crazy, but I actually say hello to the cows because I love seeing cows and, and, and you know, Fairview Farms has chickens out there, cows, it, it's amazing. So uh, I love the Hamptons and uh, I had my grandsons out there recently, all three of them, three boys, and, and they started to love the Hamptons the way I do. What do you foresee in the, in the future as uh, are you working on currently? Well, right now, one of the things that I'm working on, and this is very important in New York City, is to make sure whoever's elected mayor uh, doesn't re-engage in the stop and frisk policies uh, that criminalize so many young black and brown men uh, for no reason. Young man, not doing anything wrong, he gets stopped, no reason. Thrown against the wall, frisked, whether you call it stop and frisk, stop and question, it's unconstitutional. A federal court judge declared it unconstitution, unconstitutional. And I consider myself not just a civil rights lawyer or an accident lawyer, whatever you want to call me, but also an activist. I believe in, in, in being active. So I'm organizing along with uh, a lot of uh, on the ground civil rights organizations and ministers and activists, a march on Thursday to say to all these mayoral candidates, and it isn't a, a march against any one candidate, but to say to them, do not enact, stop and frisk again, it's wrong. Uh, do you see any other way to uh, reduce crime? How would you do it? Well, I'm not a criminologist, but I, I, I would say this, we need more effective work in the mental health area. I've represented four families who had mentally ill loved ones killed by the police in New York City. Instead of police responding when a family calls 911 and, and tells the 911 operator, my mentally ill son is, he didn't take his medicine and he's acting out. Instead of sending police, they should send mental health workers because you need to deal with these situations. And I think that's a serious problem in this city. Unfortunately, the project that existed with this mayor who's here now, 
uh, to try to deal with mental health problems has not been successful. I, I think that's one way. Another way to deal with it is getting to the youth, all sorts of programs for the youth, and we have to get the guns off the streets. That's really important. We don't get the guns off the streets by stopping and frisking innocent young men. We get the guns off the streets by stopping the pipeline uh, from wherever they're coming from. And the federal government has to get more involved in that. Uh, I've read parts of your book, and um, I, think that's, I think that it's well named, the outrageous Rubenstein. Well, thank you. But I think the second <laughs> part of the title, how a media savvy trial lawyer of fights for justice and change is more important than the first part, the outrageous Rubenstein. And, and hopefully people who read it can understand that, that we fight for change, we fight for justice. And, and that, as I said earlier, is to prevent these tragedies from occurring uh, to innocent victims. Well, thank you for coming on my podcast and talking to me about all this. I really appreciate it. It's and, been my uh, pleasure. And I look forward to meeting you in person in the near future, because as I said, I'm a fan of yours. Thank you. So thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.